0: It's been great uh, to have kicked off the marriage conference on Friday night, to have spent time with many of you that are in this room, and then the day on Saturday, and uh, just thankful for uh, your pastor getting to know him, other members of the leadership team. Uh, You know this, uh, but it's good to hear it affirmed from other people that come in. Uh, You are blessed with a tremendous leadership team.
1: A team that is
0: zealous for God, is humble, has been nothing but hospitable uh, since we've come in here, and they care about you. And so I'm just so thankful to be able to uh, share with you this morning to get into God's Word together and and just know that uh, we get to simply provoke one another to love and to good works as we've assembled together to celebrate all that God is doing, and anticipate much more that God is going to do. I remember when we had already planned to to be here on Friday and Saturday, and I get the call from my evil friend from Nigeria. He calls me. You're going to like this, church. Listen to this. He calls me, and he says, Would you want to speak on Sunday?" I said, man, I would, I would love to speak on Sunday. I'm, I'm humbled uh, to go ahead and uh, participate in the service in that way. And he says, okay, great. Why well, get a call back? I'm like, why is, why is he calling me back? So he calls me back and he says, hey, I, I just, I just want to make sure you're comfortable with something. He says, now, you know that the church is a Pentecostal charismatic church. I was like, uh, I, I wasn't aware, but that, that sounds great. He says, I just want to make sure you know that. <laughs> and I said, brother, that, that's no problem. So we hang up the phone. And I get to thinking a little bit. So I call him. <laughs> I said, hey, brother, you need to know something. I got to thinking about your question, and I thought, would I hesitate to speak and proclaim God's word on the day of Pentecost? (laughs) There's no way. Bring it on. Let's uh, let's get into God's word this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we come to a passage of scripture today where uh, we have... Uh, an encounter that Jesus has with an unexpected guest. With an unexpected guest. Uh, (laughs) Just a few weeks ago on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, we hosted a gathering at our house, and some people had shown up early before the game, and so you know how it is when there's not a lot of parking on the driveway, and so there's cars in the street, and the kids are outside playing, and typically people just they, they, they just come in when they arrive at your house because it's open. You're expecting guests. But needless to say, we had an unexpected guest on Super Bowl Sunday, and we heard a knock at the door. I said, man, that's weird that there's a knock at the door. So I go to the door, and I open the door, and there's a couple that I have no idea who they are, but they had food. I said, you've got food. You're more than welcome. The five love languages, they forgot the sixth, and that's food. (laughs) Man, cigars and food, I am really in the right place. (laughs) So I open the door, and the woman has this big smile, hey, how's it going, and just walks right in the house. I was like, come on in. And the guy's kind of standing there with the food, and he's not real sure what to do. So he's kind of smiling. He's kind of looking around, but he decides, hey, my wife went in. I'm not going to abandon her. So in he goes with his food. She walks into the living room where everybody's at, and everybody's kind of chatting away, and everybody just kind of stops and looks. And they kind of had the same response I did. We, We don't know who they are. But we're thinking, well, maybe someone invited them and they end up in our house. Well, they're there for what seemed like the longest three seconds ever. The woman's kind of smiling, looking around and everything's quiet. And the guy's just kind of holding his food thinking, well, I'm just going to follow her lead because I'm not sure we're in the right place. Sure enough, she looks, she goes, oh, I think we're in the wrong place. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't know when I saw you, but hey, you've got food. You're more than welcome to stay. They were like, no, we're looking for this address. I said, oh, that's just a couple houses down. No problem. They're like, oh, we're so embarrassed. We're like, oh, don't worry. And so they go, and we had this, this unexpected guest in our house. And we come to a passage of Scripture today where an unexpected guest shows up. But it's interesting to see that this unexpected guest shows up and they are in the right place, they're not in the wrong place. They knew exactly what they had come to do and they knew exactly uh, who they wanted to see and spend time with. And so in Luke chapter 7, we read in verse 34, the son of man is come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So important to pause for a moment here as we work through this scripture to the end of the chapter and grasp all that's taking place. Jesus had just gone around teaching. Many had responded to his teaching Many received his teaching and were saved and and recognized him for who he was. But there are others that were skeptical. There are others who were tripped up in their own intellect. There were others who were challenged by those who were responding whose lifestyles weren't as, uh, weren't as clean as their lifestyles were to the point where they point the finger at Jesus because Jesus, because of who he was and how he lived his life, was someone people wanted around. It's interesting the description that some would project on Jesus as gluttonous and a wine-bibber. It's interesting that as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at his recorded ministry, Jesus was something that was someone that people wanted around. Because Jesus cared about people. Jesus didn't look down his nose at other people. Jesus was someone that when he walked into a room, there was an extravagant love that flowed from who he was that attracted people. And let's go ahead and recognize all of the dots that God wants to connect this morning And I'm just going to quickly throw in this idea of fire that was introduced during the worship, and isn't it interesting that if you want to gather people around you, you build a fire, and when a fire is burning, people are showing up, and sometimes you don't really have anything to say. And sometimes you're not even sure if other people are going to gather around the fire, but you kind of sit there and all of a sudden, boom, 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 people start gathering around and we want to watch the fire grow. And, and I don't know about you, but, but, uh, but any true man, whether Canadian or American, we, we like to throw some more things in the fire. We like to make a big fire. We moved into a house and we have a wood deck. And I said, man, Tammy, I don't want the, my wife, Tammy, um, I said, I don't want to just do the fire down in the yard. I want to have one up on the deck. She goes, no, no, you can't have a fire on a wood deck. I said, no, no, Tam, you don't understand. I, I, I'm going to just get a little small chiminea or something. She said, no, you don't do small fires. I said, I've learned at this point, we celebrated 24 years of marriage in July, and we thank the Lord for that. But I've learned after 24 years of marriage, after a little bit of a back and forth, promising her that it would be a small fire, and she's saying, no, you're not going to make a small fire, I finally had to come to the realization, you're right, it, it won't be a small fire. Okay, we'll keep it outside because we don't want to burn the wood deck down. But a fire attracts, and Jesus was someone that, because of how he lived his life and and who he was. People wanted him around. And so it says in verse 36 that the Pharisee desired that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and and sat down to me. In verse 37, it says, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Here comes the unexpected guest, knowing that Jesus was in the house of the Pharisee. Some translations in verse 36 would translate it as Jesus reclining at the table. Customarily, if we would grasp the picture, they would sit down at a table and kind of lean on their left side with their legs stretched out the other way. And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of person Jesus was as we see that he shows up at a wedding and he does his thing at a wedding he interacts with people. He invites people. He cares about people. He discerns what's happening in people's lives. He doesn't just speak, but he listens. And in this case, he's reclining at the table with the Pharisee. And I don't know about you, but, but I love that picture of Jesus. I, I love that he's not only interested in empowering me, in, ways of, in, in, in in a way that he wants me to serve him. But we read the great commandment that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we're to love him with every fiber of our being. And it's just like the relationship I have with my wife. As much as she appreciates all the things that I might do for her, the thing that she enjoys the most and the thing I enjoy the most is time spent together. Whatever that looks like. Time talking. Time participating in a shared experience. Time just listening. Time not saying anything and just looking out and observing God's creation. And I think about Jesus reclining at this table. And I think about how often Jesus made himself available to just spend time with those who asked him to do so. So we have this unexpected guest come in and we read, And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping, And began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This woman in the presence of Jesus comes unglued. She's not expected to be there. She probably wasn't welcome to be there But she knew that Jesus would be there, and she knew who Jesus was, and she knew how she wanted to respond to Jesus. We can can guess that potentially she had already had an encounter with Jesus, and we'll see that as we continue to read through the passage have you ever met somebody that had, some, that had some type of recognition or someone who was well-known, but you didn't know at the time who you were talking to? I've had that a couple times years ago. Uh, I was athletic director at a school, and one of the administrators was showing a dad and his uh, seventh grade son at the time around the school. And so the administrator comes and introduces this gentleman and his son. Oh, this is so-and-so, and and this is his son. And I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And so the administrator kind of waits because the administrator had said the name, and and he's kind of waiting for me to respond, oh, and make the connection. Well, I didn't make the connection. So-and-so plays baseball. And she mentions the team that he plays baseball for. I'm thinking, man, that's great. So at that point, I still really didn't get it. So I said, hey, are you single A, double A? Like, I didn't even give the guy triple A. Because there's all these levels before you get to the bigs. Triple A is right before. Like, I didn't even give him a triple A. I said, so are you single A or double A? He goes, no, no, I'm, yeah, I'm in the bigs. I said, oh, okay, great. Well, nice to meet you. And I walk away and I go, oh, you I can't believe I did this. But then, of course, I look up the name, and I go, man, who is this? Well, it turns out that it was Derek Lowe of the Boston Red Sox who had thrown a perfect game for them. It's like, how how did I not know who who was there? So that's happened to me. A a couple times, and I'm thinking, it just, it happened to me just about a month ago. I I met this well-known designer of of motorcycles, and I'm being introduced, and I should have gotten a clue. You know how sometimes you're introduced with like a little bit more enthusiasm? Hey, Roland, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. And, And, but they just, and I kind of did the same thing as far as the question that I asked them, and I was like, man, I blew it. And so you, you would think I would tread a little more lightly when I get into those situations, But all of that to say, this woman knew who she was coming to see. There was no doubt that she knew exactly who she was coming to bless and to worship and to respond to because of what he had done in her life. It's kind of like when you go to a game with someone who understands everything there is to know about the particular team you're going to see. I mean, it's warm-ups, and they are up clapping, and they are cheering, and they are going to talk. I guess in in Canada, it'd be hockey, right? So in in Abbotsford, because it was clarified for me that Abbotsford and Vancouver are different, right? I kind of made this general statement, like, here in Vancouver. I said something about, like, farming in Vancouver, and it's like, there's no farming in... They were like, it's Abbotsford. So what's the hockey team in Abbotsford? The the Pilots? So like you're not Red Wings fans? Vancouver cannot. Okay, all right. Well, because I'm from Miami, I'm a Florida Panthers fan. (laughs) Hey, but the best player could walk in the room and I wouldn't know who he was. But when, but when we're a fan, we, we study the team and we know the team you just you go to the game and it's different A fan who doesn't know very much, you can go and you can enjoy the game but but when you know When you know the statistics, when you know the history, when maybe you grew up going to the game and dad would take you to the game, there's a history there. Well, this woman comes to Jesus, and there there has to be a history of, uh, of something that Jesus did in her life to the point where she just comes into his presence and is weeping. And then she begins to wash his feet. And those tears that are flowing down her face are flowing in such a way that she's washing his feet with those tears, wipes them with her hair, which again we realize would have been not customary and almost shameful for a woman's hair to not be up, but it's down. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment, the costly ointment, that she had. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. So here, the Pharisee in his Pharisaical, better than everybody else way, looking down his notes. You know what? not even looking down his nose at the woman, looking down his nose at Jesus. The Pharisee, even though he invites Jesus into his home and is spending time with him, did not recognize who it was that reclined at his table. And so it says, at first doesn't even question the woman, but questions Jesus. If Jesus knew who this woman was, there's no way he would allow her to do what she's doing. Let's pause for a moment and think about our own human heart. Because yes, when God does something miraculous in our life, we're overwhelmed by a love and a grace and a mercy that begins to create in us the desire to welcome anybody and everybody. But if we are honest, we can relate in a lot of ways to the Pharisee in this moment. Because the Pharisee Says if Jesus knew who this woman was, a sinner, and how often do we become judgmental in the way that we live our lives? Or, or, or it, it, one way that it can manifest itself is this someone receives God's blessing. And rather than rejoicing for the blessing or the miracle that they receive, what do we think in our own mind? I wish God would do that for me. God, look at all the things that I've done. Look at how I live my life. I can't believe that person, I don't even know if they made a profession of faith. They just walked in off the street five minutes ago. And there's a miracle being done in their life. And so there's these, uh, there's these things, there's these thoughts that can cripple the life of a believer. In this case, a Pharisee, a skeptic who questions Jesus, and we come to verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. <laughs> I put myself in the position of the Pharisee, and if Jesus says, I have something to say to you, I'm, like, I'm a little worried right now. And so notice his response, master. It's kind of like when we were a kid and someone in authority said, I'm going to need to speak to you, and it was all fun and games, and you're having a good time, and then it's like, yes, sir, yes, yes, ma'am, I better play my cards right. As a parent, I'm going to wrestle with my kids, we're going to do what we're going to do, but when they, when they potentially do something that's disrespectful, uh, we need to have a little talk. Sure? Yes, sir. What does Jesus say? He speaks to him in a parable. And he says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me which of them will love him the most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, you've rightly judged. So before we keep reading, let's understand the parable that he gives. He talks about these two people. They owed different amounts. One owed much more than the other. Simple, almost don't even need to ask the question, but he asks them the question, which one do you think was more appreciative? Which one do you think was more, uh, more taken aback by what he had been forgiven? And Simon quickly answers, obviously, the one that had been forgiven the most. Now he turns to the woman in verse 44 and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Remember that. He says to him, I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But he says, look at the woman, she has washed my feet with tears, and she wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. So he says, you gave me no water, and you gave me no kiss, and it says, but the woman, since the time I came in, has not stopped kissing my feet. What a humbling thing for this woman to be doing. If we're, if we're honest, if we were watching that, if we're honest, we'd go, that, that's kind of uncomfortable. What, what is this woman doing kissing his feet? And yet Jesus says to Simon, you gave me, you didn't even give me a kiss to greet me. In many cultures, Still something that's very customary. Uh, I'm going to put it out there. Open invitation uh, to Windward to go, to go with us to Cuba. Uh, we'll have uh, church plant 101. <laughs> but hey, you got to be ready because the Cubans are very relational. All right? They're gonna, you know what? The gentlemen that hugged me on the way in, they're all like that in Cuba. They hug and greet with a kiss. Now I don't kiss Daryl though. <laughs> I leave, I leave that to Michelle. <laughs> <You're lost. laughs> uh, but Jesus says, "You gave me no kiss," and, and this woman hasn't ceased. To kiss my feet. I remember being in a, in a worship and, and prayer service. I had actually taken a team into Cuba. I took a team of, of men that were very successful in the marketplace, and one of those men uh, was at a, at a crossroads, really at a, at a challenging time uh, in his faith and in his walk with the Lord, and, and he, he wanted to get away and to unplug and, and to see what the people of God were doing in Cuba, uh, in in the midst of what others would think in the natural sense, they'd have little reason to express joy. And as he goes and we're in this worship time and he sees the joy that these people have in worship and their adoration and, and the way that they are just like this woman we read about, unglued in their passion of God Uh, one of our leaders comes over to this guy and kneels down at his feet and just starts to weep and to pray at his feet. And I kind of look, and I wasn't going to make eye contact, but he caught me kind of at the same time. Like, almost like, like, what do I do? And I was just like, Just receive. Just receive. And it was uncomfortable. And it was amazing to hear how that act of prayer over his feet had already confirmed something that God early on had revealed to him on that trip. And it was this that even though he was in the marketplace he was not the witness that he needed to be in the marketplace and the word spoken over him after that prayer was how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news and so god showed up jesus says My head with oil you did not anoint. I think it's interesting that as Jesus is, in essence, rebuking, he starts not by what the woman did, but by what the Pharisee didn't do. You gave me no water, you gave me no kiss, and you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. I love verse 47. It says, Wherefore I say unto her, her sins which are many are forgiven. Look, look, look at this phrase. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat, So there were other people around beginning to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so as we've worked through this passage of scripture, I believe that there is so much God's spirit wants to reveal to us. But I want you to know that the biggest takeaway for me and the word that I would share with you this morning is the simple phrase for you to love well. Love well. In John chapter 13, we read, By this will all men know that you're my disciples in your love for one another. The thing that should set us as believers apart is the love that we have. And when Jesus says to this woman, she loved much, it is the Greek word agape. There was an unconditional love in this woman's heart because of an unconditional love that had been given to her. I'm going to tell you right now, because I can relate, Sometimes there's hurt and there are hang-ups that we have that keep us from really walking in the freedom that Christ has. And the hang-up and the hurt and the betrayal and the wounding and the trials and the circumstances in life trip us up from really experiencing the miracle. Here's what I mean by that. We can be undignified in our worship to God, but don't ask me to be undignified in my hospitality and love with other believers. I can spend time with God and I can get in his word and I can listen to podcasts and I can listen to worship, but you have no idea how my spouse has hurt me. So where I'm going right now is that when we hear about this woman loving much, it is because of what had been forgiven in her life, and because she had been forgiven, she could love in that same way. And what we need to do as believers is we need to understand this. Yes, hurt people hurt people. And what happens is we're hurt. Therefore, difficult circumstances come into our life and we perpetuate the hurt. Scripture talks about how the sin uh, of, a, of a family member can go up to three generations. But here's what I would declare this morning is if hurt people hurt people, how about healed people start healing people? And when healed people heal people, it goes up to a thousand generations. God doesn't make any mistakes to bring us to this passage of scripture this morning and to see the act of this woman pouring herself out. She is a healed woman ministering healing to those that are around her and Jesus calls her out for what she did, but Jesus calls the Pharisee out, and he says to him, no water, no kiss, and no anointing, but you know what I love is that the Holy Spirit of God has shown up this morning to show you that what the Pharisee, that any individual will never do for you, that Jesus can do for you. So here's what Jesus can do and wants to do. Number one, the Pharisee gave him no water, but oh, if the Pharisee only knew the water that Jesus would offer him, he would offer him a water for which he would never thirst again. And so you might be looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in all kinds of external things, but Jesus offers you living water this morning that you would never thirst again. A water that is refreshing. A water that will come over you and be like a healing stream cleansing you of all the past, of all the sin. Now, I understand, I understand that sometimes the hurt runs really, really deep and the hurt takes on different forms. But please hear this. Every single one of us have a story. And the, the, the deeper waters we swam in and the bitter the bitter waters that we drank, many people are here to say that it was so good to finally let go and receive the water that Jesus wants to bring. Jesus says to him, no kiss. And yet we see it's, it's the very basic hospitality of having received people into your home. And I love that, that in so many ways, Jesus shows his affection to us. Traveling and at times walking into to orphanages and where there are children, it can break your heart. Because there are so many children and so few workers, and the children deal with different separation disorders because of a lack of affection in their life. And they get, they get older, and sometimes where they're unwanted, and, I've, and Tammy and I have had the privilege of praying with and walking alongside of couples that have said, as ideal as it would be to adopt a baby, we want to adopt an older child. And in the adoption of the older child, it, it, it brings, hey, relationships are messy. When Jesus died on the cross, it was messy in order to adopt us into the kingdom. And so they adopt, and it gets messy in their home. A lot of people want to make sacrifices for God, but they're not willing to pay the price. And yet scripture reminds us you've got to be willing to pay the price. Consider the cost. And we must take up that cross daily and follow him. Please understand this. I'm not imposing on you what God may be calling me to do. I think that's a big mistake. I think sometimes we hear uh, a church leader or an evangelical leader come up or we hear a believer share testimony of something radical that they've done and we think we need to walk away and go do the same thing. And I'm just thinking we just need to be obedient to what God's showing us to do. So if God is putting, a, uh, if God is putting adoption in your heart, then you need to pursue that and you need to embrace that and quit waiting for other people to necessarily affirm that and quit waiting for other people to take the lead. If you see the need, take the lead and go. God's people are going to come alongside of you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to carry that burden with you, but, but don't impose or strong arm other people. There are believers that they go out and they bring homeless people into their home. And they, and they get a shower in their home, and they get food in their home. There are others that not, they're not so sure they want to bring a homeless person in their home. And frankly, that may not be the smartest thing to do. But people do radical things, and we ought to applaud them and come alongside and help. There's a really good friend of mine, and every Saturday morning for the last seven years, he goes into downtown. At the time, it used to be with things in his trunk. And then he went from a car to a truck, and then he went from a truck to the truck and a trailer. Then he went to an open trailer, and then he went to an enclosed trailer. And for the last seven years, he's been taking goods and meeting the physical needs of the homeless in what they call uptown Charlotte, but uptown to those that are down and out in Charlotte. Doing that so that he can share the gospel with them. You know what I love about what he's done? Is that he did it for three years without anybody else getting behind what he was doing. For three years, he did it on his own. And then God began to bless and people began to come alongside of him. And churches began to support what he was doing. But he was undeterred because he knew that it was something that God had called him to do. You know what I love, that in God's family, we can embrace the diversity of passions and the diversity of giftings, and we can move forward as one body in Christ. I love it. I love it. So what's radical for you could look radically different for someone else, but what we need to do is go without hesitation do what this woman did, that regardless of what it may have looked like, regardless of whether she had been invited or not, she was going to press in. And, and rest assured of this, she came prepared. She brought her box of ointment. She didn't show up empty-handed. She had her, her what would be her recognition. Of what she was bringing to Jesus. And so all of that to say this. He says to the Pharisee, you gave me no kiss. But Jesus over and over again reveals his affection to us. And the affection evokes a response in us. I started to tell you about the children who don't get physical touch. And as a result, suffer greatly because of that. And it's unfortunate that there are times that as believers, we can neglect demonstrating Jesus' love and affection to others. The Pharisee gave no kiss, but the woman did not stop kissing his feet. And Jesus says, in that while we were sinners, I read that and I realize that it is in our most unlovable state that God revealed his love and affection towards us. And that every day we open our eyes and we take the next breath, we're reminded that it is by God's mercy that we're not consumed and that his mercies are new every day. And so every morning, God reveals his affection to us in so many ways. And that when God reveals his affection to us, our natural response is to love well and love much like this woman did. <laughs> and, then, and then listen to this. The, the minute we read it, I know I'm in a place that you know where I'm going with this. He said, you didn't anoint my head with oil. What is the symbolism of the anointing of oil in scripture. The symbolism of the anointing of oil in scripture. Is the setting apart. For the call that God has. On an individual's life. And Jesus points us to the scripture this morning. To say the Pharisee didn't anoint. But this woman come in, came in. And she pours the alabaster box of one, Just pours it all over his feet. And Jesus this morning reminds us that his Holy Spirit unction and anointing is poured out in an extravagant way upon his people for the purpose and the plan for which he's called us. She loved much, she loved well, and it says, your faith has saved you, go, in peace. I think it's interesting that he says to her, Go. He doesn't stay, stick around here. I mean, granted, it would be great to just go from worship to preaching to some worship to some prayer, and we need mountaintop experiences. But the moments come when Jesus has given us the water and we've responded by grace through faith, there are moments that Jesus comes in and he demonstrates his affection to us. And then he anoints us, but he anoints us for what? To go. And we can go not striving. We can go not suffering. We can go not wondering what's going to happen, but we can go and people recognizing that there is a healing in us that we might heal other people, that there is a love in us that wants to love other people. And because I have such a passion for marriage and family, can I just say this before we close? Can I just encourage you to love those closest to you the best? If you're married, Love your spouse well. If you have children, love your children well. Don't perpetuate the hurt that's in your life or project that hurt on them. This morning, receive the complete healing that God wants to do in your life from the physical to the emotional to most definitely the spiritual And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I would imagine that the greatest joy all the believers in this room would have is if today you would receive forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life that you would spend eternity with God in heaven. Because when you receive that love and when you receive that forgiveness and when you receive that healing... You will begin to experience what it is to not only drink the water of which you'll never thirst again, but you'll receive the gift of God's affection. You will recognize his loving arms wrapped around you, and you will recognize God's anointing and call upon your life and what he has called you to do. And so we come together, and we are encouraged, and we are provoked to love and to good works that we might go, that people would see in us something different. I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm going to ask you this question first. Is there, anything that, is there anything that outstanding about our love? Is there anything that outstanding about our love? Why do I ask that question? Because if scripture says that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples in your love for one another, I'm challenged by that. Do, do, do people see a love of my family that way? Do people see a love of my community group that way? Do people see a love of my neighbors that way? But let's just bring it back. Just believers in general. Do people see that kind of love that there's a difference? That it compels them to want to gather around the fire to see if it's something that they can be a part of. There's different images that we have of loving well, but I'll end with this. I I think of a of a mentor of mine in his 70s. And I think about the story that he tells now as a widower. He talks about his wife being diagnosed with a degenerative disease that months after the diagnosis, she's unable to do anything for herself and unable to communicate with him. She suffered in this state for almost six years. He's sharing with me that she passed away four years, or excuse me, four days before their 50th anniversary. Throughout those years that she couldn't do anything for herself or talk to him, he would wake her up in the morning, bathe her, brush her hair, brush her teeth, feed her, get her out of bed, put her in the wheelchair. Gopher walks with her, taking her outside, talk to her, even though he could not talk back. And as he's sharing this story with me, he encourages me. He says, Roland, you need to love well. And I said, expand on that a little bit. Here's what I'm going to tell you. My wife and I, we had a great marriage on the inside and on the out. We had a great marriage. But when she went into a state where she could do nothing for herself, the worst part about that was she couldn't communicate. She couldn't speak. I would ask her questions and she couldn't answer as much as she wanted to. And oh, how I longed to just hear her voice again. Oh, how I longed to just hear her heart. Oh, how I longed to ask her questions that even as we approached almost 50 years of marriage that that I'd never asked. He said, you need to love your wife well. You need to love well because as great a marriage as we had, As I look, having missed out on our 50th anniversary by four days, I think about all of the years leading up to that, that because of my own self-will, because of the busyness of my own life, I missed out on the moments that some would have thought were ridiculous that some would have thought were undignified, that some would have thought were too extravagant, a little bit like the Pharisee that we see in the story who thought, why are we allowing this woman to come in? She was allowed to come in because she loved much. And because of her faith, she pursued what should be The one and only passion and treasure of each of our lives. And when we recognize all that he's done for us, it motivates us. Scripture uses the word constrain. The love of Christ constrains. The love of Christ propels us to do what we would not normally do. Can I say thank you for loving me well? You guys have such a testimony of God's love. And so the challenge this morning is just that we would be inspired to take the depths of our love to greater levels and then watch the outpouring of that love around the believers around us And watch how other people will gather around. Because here's the thing. When love is in the house, the house is packed.